Now what? 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 Welcome. You're listening to the Now What Society, a weekly podcast dedicated to women who want to explore their edge, seek more, and laugh at their mistakes, all while choosing an alcohol-free life. We're glad you're here. We'd love to have you. Let's get into this week's episode. Welcome to the show. Thanks for listening. My name is Tamar Medford, and I am only one of your hosts for the Now What Society podcast. Now, as you've heard, if you've listened to a couple of our previous episodes, is we are rebranding on June 5th. We are going to be laughing without liquor. So you're going to get the same sense of humor, great tips and strategies for living an alcohol-free life, but you're also going to hear from a whole bunch of experts on so many different subjects that are going to help you live a truly fulfilled life without compromise. Now, before we get into our rebranding coming June 5th, we've got a couple more episodes of Time Takes Time. Now, on Lane's other show, The Connected Calm Life, if you haven't checked that out, by the way, go check it out. She did a series called Time Takes Time, where she took a panel of those who live in long-term recovery, and they talked about various topics. Now, today's episode that we're going to be sharing with you is about love, which I think everybody could use a little bit more love. So check it out, enjoy, and I hope you get so much out of it. Welcome back. You are listening to a special episode. This is Time Takes Time, and you're listening to The Connected Calm Life. My name is Lane Kennedy. I'm your host. But guess what? I have four other co-hosts today. I am thrilled to bring you this panel. Uh, We do this once a month where we gather uh, long-term recovery and talk about what it's like. Why Why do we keep doing this? Why do we not pick up a drink? And how do we survive and thrive and get through life? And today I have Bert, Matthew, Scott, and Elise. Why don't you guys take a moment and just introduce yourselves? Bert, why don't you start us off? Hello, thank you so much for inviting me to this conversation. I'm thrilled and a little nervous, but we'll we'll make it through, right? (laughs) So my name is Roberta Romero. Everyone calls me Bert. Um, I am a mom. I'm a sister. I'm a wife. I'm uh, an employee, and I'm an alcoholic in recovery. So long-term recovery for me, my story is you know, like many others, but I'm a television reporter at NBC King Five here for many years, transitioned out into the nonprofit world, and now transitioned back in. So I'm back at King Five and learning how to become a person who can work in the 21st century, which is quite difficult. Uh, I'm in long-term recovery. Uh, it's If you don't know that I'm in recovery, you don't know me. That's <laughs> the bottom line. How I'm many years, how many years Roberta? On January 2nd, I celebrated 18 years of recovery. Beautiful. All right. Go ahead, Matthew. All right. My name is Matthew Tobe. I see recovery for 16 years. December 21st, 2005 was my date. And I've been going strong and loving life ever since. Beautiful. Thanks for being here. And Scott. My name is Scott Gorman. I'm a person in long-term recovery beginning on August 20th, 1982. 
I just like can't wrap my head around that sometimes still. <laughs> I, I grapple with that. All right, Elise, bring us up. Oh, I'm the baby of the group. My name is Elise Bryson. I'm the founder of The Sober Curator and my sobriety date is May 1st, 2006. Beautiful. So this is the month of February and this will be wrapping around or coming out around, you know, this holiday of, the, of uh, Valentine's Day. And we're going to be talking about love today. And in sobriety, love has changed for me personally. <laughs> I've had many uh, renditions of love. Uh, I don't even know where to begin with this topic, but I'm going to start with this question of how long has it taken you to love yourself? Because I know for me, uh, that word didn't make sense, right? But we're going to talk about, we're just going to massage into this conversation about love and how you found love, what it means to you. But this first question, how long has it taken you to love yourself? Matthew, you want to start us? Absolutely. So how long has it taken to love myself? It took me a while, a couple of years, if not more. You know, it was one thing to you know, go through recovery and, and stop drinking. And then from there, you know, it's funny at first you kind of had that, I had that euphoric high where I was like, Oh my God, this is the best. And I felt like I loved myself. And then I did, but then everything that I was avoiding and that had happened in the wake of all that I was doing started coming back and all those feelings of self-doubt and insecurities and why I was unhappy. It was just, it all came flooding back. So it took a while. I say a couple of years, at least seven or eight to really kind of love myself again. Isn't that something how we think we're like on the path and, oh yeah, I'm good. I love myself. This is all good. And then something comes. What, what was it that, that changed you, Matthew? A lot of it was in, in terms of getting back to loving myself. Uh, what changed me the most was understanding that everything that had happened to me up until then wasn't my, sorry, it was my doing, but how I felt wasn't my fault. You know, my insecurities, uh, things I had to work on, right? It was, it was really understanding that, you know, I was who I was and looking in the mirror and seeing somebody looking back and going, you know, for a long time, looking back at a person going, I don't know who you are. I don't like you. I didn't even see myself, right? You look at yourself, you don't even recognize who's there, clean or so, or, or, or not. Um, and then it was looking at myself finally going, you gotta, you gotta figure this out. You've gotta be happy with who you are and comfortable in your own skin and start really getting to know you. And that took a while, I really, I mean, with therapy as well, it took a while to figure out who I was and then start to like that person. Cause it's really easy to look back at all the things that I had done and really not like that person mm -hmm. and understand that I no longer what that person was there. It was a part of me, but it isn't who I am now, yeah. you know, and I would have that anxiety coming. Like I would think back, even now it comes every once in a while. I'll think back to something that I had done. I'll get that awful, like kind of like sinking feeling of like, Oh, of dread and feel awful for what had happened. And then be like, you know what? It was 20 years ago. Like I can't, be mad for what happened 20 years ago. Cause in the, in the grand scheme of things, that 20 year ago moment that is making me feel bad about what I've done or about myself, really, it's an electric current in my brain. It's gone. 
It's, it's way far by it happened and it's gone. So it's understanding and realizing that I'm okay with who I am now and I'm allowed to make mistakes and not like, you know, implode. Yeah. So true. Roberta, how long has it taken you to fall in love with yourself? That's a really loaded question for me. And I, you know, my head's like buzzing through it. And I'm going to tell you, I actually kind of approach it the same way I do one day at a time. And I have to make this choice uh, to love myself over and over again. My low self-esteem and insecurity is with me is part of who I, my makeup is. And so living in that kind of fear is really unhealthy for me, but it's my go-to place. So I have to choose it all the time. And again, being, you know, that 1982, that was a year I graduated from high school. <laughs> but going back to those old days of the way I was born and raised, this whole deferment, like I, I, I always put everybody ahead of me, always. When I look at that list of all the things that you're supposed to take care of, you know, especially when I was getting sober, they're, they're like, you know, you need to put your name on the, you need to put your name at the top. And I'm like, I didn't even know I could put my name on the list. Oh, okay. So not only do I have to write my name down there, I got to put it on the top. So, you know, it's just a whole mixed ball. And this is a really powerful question because I've not thought of it for myself. I'll ask sponsees or I'll ask other people, but for myself, when do I love myself? Um, So I guess I keep it really quiet, but close um, cause it's almost like pride, like, oh, she loves herself. You know what I mean? <laughs> so what do you have to love? It's a real, it's still a real wrestle wrestling moment for me. So I would say that right now I love myself right now, this moment, right now, so I can you. that's all that matters <laughs> yeah, right exactly. now. This, this conversation is all that matters, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, Scott, were you on the top of your list of loving yourself? <laughs> Wayne? All I got to say around that is uh, it's a work in progress. Mm -hmm. It is a work in progress. I will have, as I reflect, uh, I always, I use this analogy. If I saw somebody talking to my nine-year-old or my 12-year-old in a way that was violent or diminishing or... uh, threatening. I would do whatever it took to stop that from happening. And then a long time or years ago said to me, hey, kid, why is it okay for you to talk that way to yourself? Why is it not okay to talk to your children? And that was the beginning of rewiring the default of you suck, Scott. It hurts my heart. And that has slowly changed. And do I do, still fall back in that? Certainly. But I have a, a big tool belt to be able to deal with that. So that's what I think about that. So are you loving yourself today? 100%. And <laughs> I started with, had to do, you know, the post-it notes on the, yeah. on the it had to start, it, it started real fundamentally like that yeah. my whole recovery journey is based on fundamentals 100 percent. yeah it, it does it, it helps to have the little post-it notes the reminders by your bed right because we have that negativity bias already set up inside and years of drinking and using it's harmful it's really harmful 
And so I like what you were just talking about, Scott, this, like, I wouldn't want anybody to talk to my kid that way. Like I wouldn't allow it at all. But meanwhile, inside I can go there in a second. And it's so, it's so painful to know that even in long-term recovery, it's still there and alive. And it's really like one moment to one moment being in this present moment that I can say, no, I'm not going to listen to that right now. Elise, where are you on the scale? Are you loving yourself today? I mean, I want to love myself today. It is a choice. I'm with Bert. It's a, it's a daily choice that I make. Um, and I've often have, you know, when I get down on myself, I've had friends been like, don't talk to my, don't talk about my friend that way. Don't talk about my friend that way. And you're right. It's like, for some reason, we get really protective of everybody around us that we care about, but we don't, we don't look at ourselves through that same lens. And as you're talking about notes, this happened before I got sober, but I was going through one of my 800th breakups. Um, and I was devastated because, you know, every single one has been the one and, um, and I was devastated and, uh, a really good friend of mine, her name is Petra and she was getting ready to leave and, and go back to the Czech Republic where she was from. And she really wanted me to like get it together and celebrate her time before she was leaving and not be so focused on this breakup. But I was just, you know, woe is me, woe is me. And she had a key to my house and I came home after work one day and she had taken eight by 10 sheets of paper, hundreds of them and written positive affirmations about me and plastered my whole house with them to the mm -hmm. point that my kid was like, mom, did somebody break in? But instead of stealing stuff, they wallpapered, like it was everywhere, but you know, and I left them up for, for weeks. I left them up for weeks. Um, and I did just that constant reminder of, of telling myself you are good enough, you know, and you do love yourself and you are worthy. Um, cause that imposter syndrome, it sneaks in. Like I just called Bert last week and I was like, ah, you know, like I can't, I can't, I'm not, I'm not. And, you know, had we been in person and not over the phone, she would have had every right to like slap me across the face. But, you know, even in long-term recovery, we need those constant reminders because it's just, it's to love ourselves. It's, it always feels like, for me, it always feels like a battle. Like it's, it's a, it's, it's a choice I have to make every day. And it's not an easy one. Mm -hmm. Staying sober is now for the most part, an easy choice, but loving myself, that takes a lot more effort. It takes a lot of work, right? It, it just does. That's what I'm hearing from each of each of you. And Elise, I was just thinking about walking into your house and having all of those <laughs> signs everywhere. But before that, I was thinking about the breakup and relationships that we get into. And when we have our hearts broken in recovery, I'm, I know I've had anybody else had their heart broken in recovery, hands raised, nobody. <laughs> okay. Matthew, you're not just me. Really? Seriously? Just me? <laughs> Well, I've done it enough for all of you then. That's yeah. fine. So I, I've had my heart broken in recovery and it has really been this um, catalyst to love myself even more deeply and a catalyst to understand people uh, unconditionally. And I think there's uh, something here that I want us to investigate because a lot of our listeners are 
earlier in recovery and they're going in and out of relationships. And, you know, there's this saying of, of like, maybe it's not a good idea to get into a relationship early in your recovery. What, what do you guys think about that statement? I mean, is that a loving act to get into a relationship or is it a dangerous slippery act? What, what do you, what do you guys think about that? I'm going to jump on this one. Um, I remember it being suggested not to date anyone in my first year of recovery. And um, I still struggle with rules applying to me, but they most certainly did not in that first year. And so that is a suggestion that I did not follow. And in hindsight, oh, I wish I would have. I really wish I would have. I really dated, meaning I slept with some very questionable characters in early recovery, uh, many of which were sitting in church basements right next to me, right? And um, and looking back now at the, at the woman I am now and looking at that woman that I was, I wish she would have waited because you don't know what you don't know. And as you work through your recovery, regardless of what your journey is and, and what your process is to work through things, um, whether it's 12 step or therapy or what have you, you, you will change. And the things that you come to love and want, you know, the, the type of person that you want to be with will change. And so that, that young Elise in early recovery was not drinking, was not using drugs, but she was still picking the same guys that were never the right fit for me. And I would add that for me, especially that first year of recovery, I'm looking for any kind of distraction I can. So I was, I am still married to the same person and I didn't get into any relationship at the time, but I did see that, you know, it's just really easy to distract yourself and proven fact that the feelings of love, if you look at a brain scan, the dopamine release is equal to a hit of cocaine. Mm -hmm. So, hmm, I'm an alcoholic and, or addict and I want to feel better and I can't use this and I can't use that, but love is right there. So boom. So I just think that it's, it's just a very delicate balance. And again, getting back to that love, you know, or putting yourself first, that first year of putting you on that list and then really taking care of yourself without the distraction and really building that foundation, I think is just so important. But, you know, I can understand the slippery slope, Elise, exactly what you said. I mean, they're all here and you're just kind of, you're bonding. The pink cloud is so delicious and to share it with someone else, you know, you can get, you can get why that would happen. But yeah, I highly recommend against it personally, but you know, life is life. Mm -hmm. I'll jump in there, Lane. I, <clears throat> I think that the, the challenge around it, especially around what Bert was talking about, I want to change the way that I feel. Mm-hmm. To this moment, I mean, if if I don't like something, if if I'm challenged on the home front with my bride, I'm gonna I want to find something to change instead of being able to sit with it. And the I think getting involved early, especially with other people in recovery around the rooms, it's dangerous for the the person that's in long term recovery. It's dangerous because there's some dishonesty involved. There's some, there's. Okay. Let's go there. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to go there. What does that mean? It's dangerous for the person in long-term recovery. What does that mean? Because that person is being less than noble. If, if it's not an upfront, um, 
relationship, if it's not, if it's obviously consensual, but if the person is not honest with the person that they're involved with, Mm -hmm. and if the, if the, and not in a predatorial way, but more in a, in a vulnerable way Mm -hmm. and not being on, you know, I, I'm in love with this guy. I'm in love. Oh my God. And no, I'm in love with how this feels. So I don't have to, so I don't have to look in the mirror of what's being just blasted into my face in, in terms of being abstinent and not having that, that, uh, that go-to default, which for me was 151 and cocaine and amphetamines. So if I don't have that, I want to look for something else, but I don't so know if that makes it, it does. It makes a lot of sense, but there's like this invisible line. I think when we're newly in recovery, or at least there was for me an invisible line. And like, I felt like I was falling in love with my friends, right? I was just like, oh my God, she's the best. Oh my God, he's the best, right? Like there was this such this, ah, because I had never felt this kind of uh, kindred sensibility, this connection, right? So how do you, you know, how do you move that to the side and get really honest, right? And you have this old timer who's, you know, trying to assist and guide, but they fall in love too. It's like, it's a very tricky place. So how do we, how do we walk through this, Matthew? So this is a, this is a, an area I'm not well-versed in. So I'll, I'll give some history on this. Uh, I was married. Mm-hmm. Um, when I went into recovery and still married to the same person. So for me, it, it was more of um, not that it was, it was falling in love again, because again, I was angry at myself. There was a whole self-loathing going on at the same time. But I'm going to say like looking at meetings I'd be in and looking at it from just an outsider, insider, I guess, where I wasn't going to get involved with anybody because, mm-hmm. you know, that would just complicate my life even more than it already was. See how I was married. So having another relationship probably wouldn't have been the best idea on a good day. Um, but again, that's also part of the excitement. So it, it's funny where we want to have that excitement as well. We want to have something to do. And what I ended up doing on the side was uh, throwing a surprise birthday party for my wife. And I got to sneak around and do all the things that nobody knew about, got to hide things again, because that was that rush, right? Yeah. Uh, so looking at it from you know, the elders and the long-term people in, in, in sobriety, guiding the way, and, and I see it more as a, as a taking advantage of because they know better. We know better. Like I know if I wasn't in a relationship and I was you know, mentoring other people or sponsoring other people, that's like a line of taking advantage of people. That's how, that's how I would see it. Right. Um, Because there is that line we don't, and because we want that excitement. So like that, all the, all the pleasure centers that light up when things are great. It's that, and that's any, let's be honest, that's any relationship, whether you're in recovery or not, those first few months are the best. I have no idea what happens in the first five months of a relationship. So imagine being like newly in recovery, you're like, it's like 15 times more potent than all that. So I love that. I was just thinking about like you, 
uh, hiding things for your wife, right? This, that kind of rush that we, like, I know that I needed in my early recovery. I remember telling my sponsor, I was like, I need something. Yeah. My best friend who uh, also was in recovery uh, about a year or two before myself, he, when we were, we were in Montreal, we'd go visit him and his wife and, you know, we're, I was planning a surprise party then. And he looked at me and he said, how much are you loving planning this party? I'm like, it's the best. He's like, just feel so good. Like, he goes, you can become a party planner for surprise party for everybody now because you get to hide everything again. I'm like, it's exactly what it was. It was that excitement and that only I knew it, right? And it was that rush. It, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's freaking crazy. Like, <laughs> So let's actually, let's give some ideas for our listeners to, um, get that rush, right? Like my, uh, I was told, well, you know, I had that stalking problem. I've talked about stalking before on the show and, you know, a mentor, a very wise woman said, you need to stop doing that. And I said, what else can I do? Because I'm like, I need that feeling, you know, I need to, and she's like, well, stop wearing panties for a week and tell me what that's like, right? Like she was just like giving me ideas. What are some of the ideas that we can share? Like to, to rev people up, to get them excited, to live on the edge because, you know, we don't have to die, right? We don't have to get boring and glum. Like what are some exciting things that we can share that you've done in the past? I got sober when I was 20. And so I never really kissed a girl sober. I never danced really sober. I never um, went to a ball game sober. I never went, I never, you know, I was under the influence on the daily morning, wake and bake and away we go and whatever else can go into the body. So everything was a new, a whole new experience. And then finding a bunch of folks we called ourselves in, in East Lansing, Michigan, where I got sober, these young punk drunks. So we would play, we would play pinball back in the eighties for hours. And, you know, and there's 50,000 students in that town. And I thought everybody drank like I did. And then I found a whole new world, which didn't. And I started hanging with those and doing all those things that I could only do under the influence sober. And going to movies and just hang, just hanging and giggling. And remember those first snot bubble laughs? Those kinds of things. That that's what I encourage everybody who's in recovery. It's it's I've seen the arc over thirty nine years. Sobriety's kind of cool these days. Kind of cool. So glad to be part of it. Roberta. I got to put this into perspective. Like if I can get into my pajamas by 8 PM at night, I'm winning. So, you know, I'm like exciting, fun things. Oh, you know, but my sober curator there, I reading up on it. Like I wish, and maybe now, you know, I'd have to get out of a comfort zone for sure. But like, I'm hearing about like sober dances, but like how there's some clubs and they close at 1 p.m., but then they reopen for people who want to go and dance and do it sober. Like, that sounds amazing to me. You know, I really like know, the idea Roberta, of that. 
Roberta, yeah. when you were first in recovery, what were you doing? I mean, you playing chess every night? Like, what were you doing? I was you taking be doing something. I was taking care of uh, four-year-old twin daughters and a seven-year-old son. So I was really busy with just parenthood. Okay. So what did you do it. for fun? Did you like paint and color? I mean, that, that's what I'm thinking. Like there had to be something that you, you were like, I got to do something. I'm going crazy here. I'm going to tell you that you're digging deep with me and <laughs> And, this is, and, and you know what, you know, like I'm already getting panicky. I'm started sweating a little bit. I am a slow learner and I'm okay. a, I'm a person who, again, my codependency is as strong as my alcoholism. So doing for others was a big thing in the beginning for me. Yeah. And so that was fun for me until mm -hmm. I realized that kind, my kindness was actually manipulation. Mm. Now, I'll do this for you if you'll do this for me, or you're going to owe me better yet. You owe me for the rest of your life. I'm going to be really nice to you so that you owe me. So my process was very slow. So doing things like that, I, I'm still discovering who I am. I, I really am. I was very stunted, um, to be honest with you. And you're asking questions that nobody's really asked me before because I've never taken the time. You know, there's this weird mix of a very shallow life that I live mm -hmm. and you're asking me questions about the depth and I still like to stay up here on this top. Mm -hmm. So uh, part two, can we talk about love? <laughs> <laughs> Next February, 2023, when I, now that you're making me think about it. Roberta, honestly, you're coming I, back. <laughs> I appreciate this. I really, I'm like, oh, what did, what did Elise get but me this is Okay, so you're bringing up a really valid point, Roberta. Bert, I'm going to call you Bert. I like okay. that. Bert, in that a lot of people in recovery, in long-term recovery, stay up here. Mm -hmm. They don't dive down mm -hmm. because it's easy to stay up here. This becomes the common up here. You know, we don't have to look at all that stuff anymore, right? Mm -hmm. I'm done drinking and using, but there's all kinds of these other things, these habits, these that we neglect. And then we find burnout. And then we're like looking at our partners thinking, who are you? Why am I in this relationship? What, what do I need? Right? Like there's all kinds of things that happen in our recovery that we need to explore. And this is just a tiny little exploration of that. And I love that you're bringing that up because it's so you're, you're on, you're right on time. You're right. Like that's perfect. Like I couldn't, it's brilliant. I'm like, thank you for just being honest about that. Right. Just, and I'm going to have you back on the show. <laughs> Matthew, you're laughing. <laughs> it's so funny because it's, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think the same thing. And back then I had, you know, we had one kid, he was a year and a half and it was like getting through sobriety. Then we had a second kid. So looking back, I think back to that, those first days, there was nothing I was doing crazy adventures, very, very much like Bert. Um, you know, I was a fitness professional, so I, I dove heavily back into fitness and making that my thing. And it was closer to when I started to love myself and really needed that something else. Cause you know, my baseline became, you know, wake up, brush teeth, work out. It was something normal. It was like drinking really just became, it wasn't a transference, but it was something that became a normal part of my day in my life. Uh, that then I wanted that excitement and, and being a fitness professional, being an instructor to begin with, you know, my classes, we get 50, 60, 70 people in a class and I would thrive off of being at the front of a room and being at the center from a person who used to, you know, drink to hide behind all that. 
where that was like my kind of my mask and I could only talk to people and be in front of a crowd of more than two if I had a drink in my hand and all that. And here, so the rush of everyone staring at me, watching what I was doing became such a dangerous thing for me because it terrified me. Uh, so that became my big thing. So becoming a public speaker from there became what I wanted to do to kind of push that envelope. And there was nothing I love more that that anxiety and it's, it's awful. The anxiety and the excitement of that awful feeling I'm going to throw up for days up until I actually go up on a stage. I actually look forward to it. It's mm. really weird. So good though. It's so good. You went like you pushed that line. That's yeah. what I'm hearing from you. You just like, I'm going to yeah. go for it. I'm going to go through it. And now you're like above it. I, that's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. sharing that. Elise, I'm chomping. Oh, Scott, here's, go for it. And that's going on. I mean, today, what's my buzz today? Yeah, what um, is it? <laughs> my biggest buzz today is being able to be vul vulnerable and real with another human being, with my feelings. That's my buzz. And in recovery, I'll speak for myself, I take it for granted. Yeah. And a lot of people can't make that, as you've heard it many times, that 12-inch journey from our head to our heart, because that's where I live and my feelings. And then I just had a conversation before this call, and a guy opened up, and we do that on the daily mm -hmm. with different people. But me and Nooch yeah. getting real, yeah. talking about, and it's just, it just fills me up mm -hmm. and connects me to the human race. And I was dis, that's what alcohol and drugs disconnected me from you and for whatever connection that I have with this universe. So that's beautifully stated. It is that connection. I mean, it is that those conversations. Oh, so rich. Okay, Elise. I, I looked for a lot of distractions. Um, and I, when I like something, I like it a lot. Uh, it was that way with drugs and alcohol. It's that way with dating. It's that way with shopping. Like, so for me, um, I know that I threw myself into, I was, I, I became a shopaholic. I was shopping all the time, putting outfits together. I still loved home decorations, thrifting. Oh my God. The thrill of the hunt for a treasure that, you know, like if finding a pair of shoes, thrifting that are like, 20 bucks, but I know that they normally retail for $400. Like, Oh, that makes me feel so good. Um, and then I can't wait for someone to ask me, you know, Oh, I like those shoes. I can't just say, thank you. I'm like, I got it for $20. Like I have to let people know. Right. I also became a workaholic. Um, and I, I jumped into this lifestyle magazine world and I was dressing fancy and going to fancy parties and just, um, so I did a lot of things that on the surface weren't bad, um, but they, they kept me from really digging in and doing the real work on myself that I needed to do. They were like a bandaid. I remember the year that I got into adult coloring. I have like a hundred adult coloring books and entire, every possible pencil, marker, colored pen. I still have all that crap. I'm also a hoarder, but like, you know, did I need a hundred adult coloring books that are like $25 a pop? No, I don't. Um, but those were the things that I would like throw myself into with the excuse of, well, I'm not drinking. Well, I'm not using. 
So it's okay if I spend this money on this or spend this money on that. And where I ended up was in debt, right? And, and exhausted because I was burning the candle at both ends. Um, but I also, there were fun things. I, I remember that I wanted to make up for what I perceived as lost time with my son, who was nine when I got sober and he's 25 now. So he loved video games. Therefore I needed to love video games. And of course I had to buy every system that was out there, all the accessories. And I can remember we would play for hours rock band when it first came out, he would be on guitar. I would of course be on microphone, not because I have a good voice, but simply because it was the only thing I could do. Our band was called kid mama. Our neighbors hated us, right? Hated us. But that was something fun that I could throw myself in with him and we were having fun. But I, it took me a really long time, meaning I still haven't figured out how to balance something that I like, right? Um, even because I'll take something that's even good for me and I'll, I'll push it past that. I'll go way past that point. Like, you know, you should see my refrigerator. I have a thousand magnets. I can't just buy a couple of magnets like a normal human. I have a thousand magnets. So that learning to balance thing, I still at 15 plus years have not figured out. I think that's something common that like when we get into something, right, we go all in. <laughs> and I think that's what I was bringing up earlier about like with friends and relationships and that line becomes very um, gray. Uh, and like, I go all in on my friendships. like. I am in 100%. Like you're not stopping me. And that can be very challenging sometimes. And I like what, uh, what Bert, you just said, like, you're going to owe me something because I'm going to do things for you. Right. Like that kind of codependency thing that happens and how that can become really dangerous. So with love being in mind, right. Love being in, in the forefront of our mind for this conversation, what is something that you would tell your one year or five year sober self about, about shaping relationships? I know that's a big question. Scott, you want to start us off? Thanks, Lane. I, I do. I'm a, and I've, you and I both met him, Lane, multiple times. We've met the richest people in the world and the most famous people in the world. And I thought growing up in Detroit that I would have, if I had some celebrity and I had some Jack, all would be okay. And then I've met those people and they're trying to figure out how to put the toe in the trigger of the shotgun to blow their brains out. And those people wanted what I had. And what I had was... Um, people that loved me and that I loved. Because when I got sober, I was unlovable and unforgivable. And love's at the bottom of all of it. Because the essence of working with somebody is, in my experience, they know that I care for them. And those men that helped me, I knew, and I, more importantly, I felt that they cared for me. Because in my experience around abstinence-based 12-step program, those two men had something better to do on August 20th, 1982, than spend three hours with a 20-year-old punk 
but they showed up and I'm forever indebted to those men. So I don't know if I came close to answering any kind of question, Lane K, but I sure as heck love you. And I'm a, I'm a multi-billionaire in relationships and relationships are, I treasure them, absolutely treasure them. And I've had lifelong friends in recovery. And I think one of the things that you do so beautifully and is you're slow and methodical and you listen, right? You give me the space to talk, to show up, right? Like, and that's what I heard. Those men gave you that space to show up and to talk, right? So you are doing exactly, you're modeling this you know, almost 40 years later. And our relationship has been, I don't even know now at this point, like 20 something years where it's, it is so, um, there is deep love in that. So the advice that you would give your one or your five-year-old, what I'm hearing is just to continue to do what you learned, right? To be open and vulnerable and to hold space for somebody. Did, did everyone else hear that? Yeah. Everyone's shaking their head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, think, I think what I also got out of Scott's share is um, the people that we come across in the recovery community are unlike, we're like, it's like a land of unicorns. Mm-hmm. And I have this core group of women that we would see each other multiple times a week in the, for those first five years of recovery. And then we all got well, and we went on to do great things in different areas. And we moved to different parts of the city and we don't see each other anymore. And they're not necessarily somebody I Marco Polo with on a daily basis, like I do with you, Lane. But these, these handful of people that were there in my early recovery that showed up for me and held that space they're still there, the ones that are still sober. And I know that if I, if I were to tap them because something was happening, they would show right up. And, I, and they know that if they were tap, tap me for something, I would show right up. And I think that's the secret sauce of this thing is that we get in community with, with each other. And for me, being on the other side and helping women find themselves and work through their recovery and get that first year and get those, those first five years. Like, I didn't know that, that, that I was going to have an experience with their experience and how fulfilling it was going to be for me when I saw them get their job back, get their kid back, get back on track. And, and then I just wanted more of it. And so I just, there's the more I always want more. I always want more. So what would you tell, you know, this one or five-year-old? Just listening to what you all are talking about, I think what I would tell myself is that love is an action. It's a, love is a choice, not a feeling. That blew my mind when I first heard that because I was sort of the uh, product of Walt Disneyland where I was waiting for someone to save me or marry me or then I'm going to be happy or I'm going to I'm going to get my this I'm going to get this job and I'm going to be happy I'm going to get married and I'm going to be and then all these years passed and I was never happy 
So learning that I need to choose it, and sometimes I need to choose it over and over again, love is a choice. I am choosing to love instead of hate or mock or sarcastically dismiss, which is very good for me. Um, so knowing that, and then it goes into that paradox of, uh, of powerful and the powerlessness, you're, you're powerless over alcohol. But now that I'm sober, especially X amount of years, I've never felt so powerful because I have this choice now. The choice was taken away from me. So being able to have this choice is um, maybe that would go back to that's what ignites me. That's, that's my fire, knowing that I get to choose this. And getting back to that, you know, when I meet with my people, when I meet you all, the fact that we are talking and I did talk about shallow and depth, but we, we, I don't care how much money you make. I don't care what car you drive. I don't care what your, where you bought your clothes, but I do care about this 20 year old kid who had two men that he can remember from 40 years ago that he can still recall every minute of it and share that story with me right now. Mm -hmm. um, knowing that I get to, I, I also feel like I've always carried the load alone so all of my insecurities, all my sadness or whatever. So now that I can say, hey, Lane, can you help me carry this? Thank you, because I can't carry this alone. So just reaching out for that, learning how to ask for help and then learning how to accept the help. And that would be the same for love, learning how to love and then learning how to accept the love. So those are the things that I think about when you, what, now that you've got me going here. <laughs> got you thinking, Bert. Yes, got you thinking. Yes, I don't know if I should curse you or thank you. <laughs> Uh, Matthew. That was amazing. Wow. Okay. So I'm going to say, uh, looking back, my one to five, Yeah. I'm going to start off by saying be present because mm. when I came out of, out of, out of you know, treatment, I was rightfully the most selfish person I knew because I had to focus on me. That's I had, it was me, it was me or bus. Right. And I would definitely say I, even though I had missed out on so many things prior to that, recovery date. Um, I missed out a lot post recovery date because I was so focused on me and I definitely missed out. So I would say the year one and year five, be a hell of a lot more present in what's going on around you, staying safe, but, you know, be present with what you're doing and, you know, looking at the, the love that we're, you know, trying to accept and, you know, especially now, like looking back now at all the opportunities we have, because like you said, Scott, you know, it's almost like the cool thing. Sobriety is like the cool thing now. It's a cool thing to talk about. It's a conversation that, oh, you're sober? So am I. It's like the craziest conversation now. And we have an opportunity to be a huge part of that. And, you know, looking back to one in five going, you have no idea what's about to come, right? Like, the, like there's so much coming your way. So be mm -hmm. present, keep your eyes open because like, the, honestly, the best is yet to come. Like I look back at everything that happened was meant for a reason. I went through it for a reason. I may not have liked any of it, <laughs> but it's there. It's happened. And, you know, accept it mm -hmm. and, you know, love it. Like, love, like not love the actions I went through and the, the, the bad things I did, but love it, you know, and know that you get to become even better. You know, I used to, I look back and people say to me, well, you know, when you when you could sum it up, how would you sum it up? And I'd say, before Don Draper from Mad Men was created, he was my mentor. Oh, no. <laughs> like that's what I thought adulthood was supposed to be. Uh -huh. And then when I watched the show Sober, uh -huh. it was like, wow, 
his life took a freaking bad turn <laughs> until that very last episode, right? And it's like, that's what you have to look forward to, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So there's, I would say that's a one in five, you know, accept the love, be present, and you, the best is yet to come. So good. We are coming up on our speed round, my friends. And before we do that, I want to ask you one more insightful question around love is that, you know, I think Roberta, you just said it, but the question is one thing that you could pass on about loving yourself. One thing like how, and let's get like Scott talked about the sticky notes, the practical, like what's one thing that our listeners can do today to take action, to really like start working towards loving themselves. I was just going to jump in and say, start with little things, start dating yourself, buy yourself the fresh flowers, right? Draw yourself the bubble bath, go and get your nails done. Um, Take that Sunday afternoon nap, really simple (laughs) self-care things will just help you. It just makes you feel good. Um, and so that's, that would be my answer to that. I love it. Thank you. All right, Scott, jump in. To echo Bert's notion around an an old timer, a long timer said to me years ago, it's, it's really kid all about to love and to be loved. And the be loved part has been difficult for me. And so what I would lovingly suggest is that I am in fact worthy. I am worthy of love. I can accept it. And it started very small and it started right here. How about this? Hey, Scott, I like your glasses. Well, no, these, these are the ones I don't really, cause they're not really like the ones that I, and so this long timer said to me, when somebody pays you a compliment, you say, thank you. And you zip it, you zip it. <laughs> so good. <laughs> that's, that's a, that's an action mm-hmm. that any of you in, in the beginning of your recovery journey, please try that. It's worked wonderful for me. That's such a good one. That's such a good one. Thank you for that. I'm thinking back to me still X amount of years sober, trying to figure it out. So I feel almost like that first year. So what I was thinking about was acting as if, acting as if, acting as if I love myself. And, you know, and, and people are like, what do you mean as if? I'm like, you act as if. So because of my low self-esteem, I have to kind of put it sideways a little or I have to give my language that some, some language around it until I can start acting like, wait a minute. Hey, one day I woke up. I do love myself. But right now, today, I'm going to act as if I love myself. Mm. And today I'm going to act like, again, it might take me a while, but then eventually it becomes true. And I, and I know it's about love, but that gratitude list, that always helps me. That always makes me feel, this is going to sound weird, but it makes me feel special. <laughs> like, wow, I'm so grateful. Look at all this stuff. I've got friends and I've got sobriety. You know, I like feeling like a winner. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so, you know, that was, those are two things that have helped me. Beautiful. Thank you, Matthew. Um, that is, yeah. So my, my biggest project would just be, you know, focus much like, like Bert said, focus on yourself a bit. And at least, you know, look at internally, 
and give yourself, you know, the feel goods. And so for me, working out was, was clearly my big thing. It didn't become an obsession because it's what I did for a living, but it was, it was my break. It was my kind of putting my headphones disappear from the world for whether it was half an hour, an hour, um, you know, and know that, and this is one of the things I've learned today, because I'm, I'm the, I don't love all the, the cliche comments about exercise and fitness, you know, sweat is fat crying and blah, blah, blah. No, it's not. Sweat is your body regulating temperature. Um, it's, it's giving it the, you know, no, no workout is a bad workout. Like, you know what? In those first couple of years, I had days where the last thing I wanted to do was exercise, but I needed to be by myself for an hour. And I may have finished the workout and it sucked and I hated it and I didn't feel any better, but I at least did it and I gave it to myself. So really focusing on the things that you can do for yourself, especially the, you know, exercise, because it's also that light up of the pleasure center that we're missing, right? So there's a big focus on you. Yes. Actually, that's the biggest one, focus on you. But again, be present in everybody else's life. (laughs) Don't be too on you. I love it. Okay, we're at the speed round. We're going to go quickly around. I'm going to start with you, Elise, and then Roberta, Matthew, Scott. Okay, you ready? Speed rounded it. Uh, what's on your bedside for reading right now? Well, the, I, it's a stack like this big of books. It's top like, of the book, top of the pile. I don't even know. Okay, Roberta. Yeah, go to Roberta. For brown women with tender, for brown women with sharp edges and tender hearts. Beautiful. Okay, Matthew. I got, I'm like, at least I got a stack. So I'll give you a couple because I read a few at the same time. So I've got uh, Breakthrough by uh, David Nurse. I just started reading yesterday. It comes up tomorrow, actually. Um, Unforgiven by uh, uh, Jay Glazer, which is an unbelievable book about mental health and anxiety from this massive NFL sportscaster. It's crazy to see what he's doing and where how he's suffering. And it's great. Uh, and then I just picked up, it's actually here, not on my bedside, but I got Brene Brown. Yeah. Atlas of the heart. So nice. those are my three top right now. And I throw in a John Gordon, uh, the seed. So <laughs> I got a stack. There's like 50 more. I love more. it. I love they're, the stack. They're stacked this way and they're lined up this I way. I love so. the stacks. Elise, you, you ready or no? No. Okay. No. no. Okay. We're, we're passing you by. Okay, Scott, what's on your bedside? Uh, fellow stacker, we've got Thomas Keating centering. Yeah. I've got... Uh, Brene Brown's latest mm-hmm. and big fan, big, big fan of hers. And then on my, on my Kindle, like I have some sort of spy novel that is my plain kind of uh, reading. And I can't yeah. even think that I got so many, but that's yeah, what I got. I got a Kindle stack too. I got a Kindle stack too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. On my bedside table right now is how your unconscious mind rules your behavior and i'm back in ernest holmes uh, science of mind so next speed question uh prayer and meditation only prayer or only meditation matthew meditation okay roberta prayer elise prayer scotty First 20 years prayer, the last 20 and meditation, prayer and meditation. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's meditation. I forget about the prayer. It's so interesting. 
Okay. Waffles or pancakes, Matthew. That's not fair. (laughs) (laughs) You can't do both on the same plate. Waffles or pancakes. I'm going to go pancakes every time then. Okay. Elise. Waffles. Roberta. Pancakes. Scott. Pancakes all day. All day waffles right here. (laughs) I knew it. I knew it. I'm a waffle girl. Okay. Last question for the speed round is a one single word that encapsulates your recovery. One single word that encapsulates your recovery. Grace. Elise. Moxie. Berta. Laughter. Matthew. Exciting. Peace. Wow. I'm thrilled. Thank you, uh, panelists. Thank you, friends. Thank you for being on this journey of recovery and uh, inspiring many thousands of people. Uh, That's what we're doing uh, every day by not picking up a drink, not hurting ourselves, but by loving ourselves. The act of not drinking is a simple act to care for yourself and to love yourself. So thank you for being a part of this with me. And thank you for listening to Time Takes Time. What an amazing episode. I hope that you enjoyed that just as much as I did. And don't forget, we have one more special episode coming up next Monday of Time Takes Time. So we'll see you then. 